0: Welcome to the One House Podcast. I'm Chris Kim. Today, we have Andrew Zellman, Berkeley Haas full-time MBA and associate at McKinsey & Company. Andrew is a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy and a former officer in the U.S. Navy. Andrew's passions include ultimate Frisbee, climate, and sustainability, and leveraging his technical background to drive impact and insights in his work and beyond. Andrew, welcome, and great to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm (laughs) very flattered to be here. Yeah, Andrew, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast today. We usually start with people's origin stories. Where did you grow up? Where did you spend time as a kid? So would you share a bit about your background? And did you know you'd be where you are today when you were a kid?
1: Definitely not. I love uh, the word origin stories, by the way. It makes you think of like superheroes and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, but no, definitely not. So I'm, I don't know if I'm like a super California native, but that's how I guess I like to think of myself. So I was actually, I was born down in Southern California, but a little outside of San Diego. Moved up to Northern California, maybe like a first grade. It's either in between the first grade and kindergarten, I think, but we were, we lived in Ukiah, California, which is about two hours north of San Francisco. It's kind of like a small little rural town, like 16,000 people. But yeah, it, like very different than SoCal. So I had a, one older brother, Peter, he's about two and a half years older than I am. So we got to like run around the foothills of Ukiah quite a bit. So got to like get poison oak a lot, (laughs) but also like the outdoors a lot, which I think was probably like somewhat formative. While I was growing up, I was in Boy Scouts, played like a decent amount of sports, did basketball and soccer through middle school, then switched over to cross country and track in high school. And what else? Oh yeah, also played a lot of ultimate frisbee with my dad. That's like my true favorite sport. My dad taught both my brother and I when we were in middle school, but middle school doesn't have an ultimate team. Our high school didn't have an ultimate. Had to do more formal stuff. But yeah, what. Lots of being outdoors, either like backpacking or camping with my brother and dad, either through Boy Scouts or on our own or just like, playing a lot of sports, running
0: around. That's awesome to hear, Andrew. One of the major inflection points for folks at the business school is that first step of going to college or even applying to college. And in your case, you end up going to a service academy, which is really a prestigious experience. Can you just explain the background? Like, did you always know you wanted to go into the military as a kid? Or what was that process like for you as you were planning to apply and then eventually get accepted to Annapolis?
1: Yeah, that was kind of like a big plot twist, (laughs) how I think about it. Because I think like being from Northern California, just like Ukiah, I think California in general, is well, like liberal does not equal, does not like the military, definitely like that wasn't in the like the life path of many of my peers. It wasn't something I was strongly considering. My grandpa was in the Navy like a little bit after World War II. But other than that, I didn't feel like any close attachment to the military. And in fact, most of the schools that I was looking at and applying to were small liberal arts schools where I could run D3 cross country and just, I felt like, ah oh, liberal arts would be the best thing because I get to be so well-rounded and stuff. But right before junior year ended in high school, I got a postcard about a program that the service academies will put on. So the Naval Academy has one there, the Air Force Academy West Point has one called Summer Seminar, which is where they bring out rising seniors for a week And I would say hang out, but it's, you do a bunch of kind of like military, it's like a little mini boot camp. You'll do like a lot of physical activity or like team building stuff. And you get to stay in the dorms that they have on campus and you have to apply for it. And when you apply for that, that also starts your application for the school. And I'd never been to the East Coast before. I'd like pretty much spent all my time in California. Like we went maybe went to like Oregon once when my brother was visiting colleges and stuff like that and Mm. then like Nevada once, but like pretty much just a West Coast person. So I was like, okay, I've never been to Maryland. This seems like a kind of relatively cheap way to be in Maryland for about a week. So I'll apply to this and see if I get in. And I applied, I was able to go and I actually had a really great time strangely enough. Also like at that time, I just had this huge head of hair. It was like probably pretty (laughs) close to a mullet. Oh my God. (laughs) It was just like very blonde. And was definitely not the typical haircut (laughs) who was running around the Naval Academy. But yeah, you know, applying for that summer seminar program actually just started my application for the school. And I thought, you know what, I would never go to the Naval Academy because that's crazy. Like, I don't want to be in the Navy, but I'll just finish the application and have it as something that's there for me. But I'm pretty sure I'm going to go elsewhere because I think like Williams was one of the schools I really wanted to go to. I think uh, there was like Carleton because I had a beastly ultimate team. Was also up there, but just yeah, Service Academy was not like high up the list. But, um, so Andrew, what sold
0: you? What sold you on this school?
1: Yeah, so they do a rolling application process. Oh, I learned I got in in January. Yeah, so way before all the other colleges. And at that point, like that's when I started thinking it's more of a real possibility. And I started viewing it as you know what? It's kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity. It's not my entire life either. So, If I end up not liking the Navy, I'll just get out after my five or six years or whatever. If I do like it, I'll keep doing it. So I think it's attractive from being a very unique experience. And then I think one of the, actually the second parts too, was that I didn't feel like completely opposed to the idea of being in the Navy or being in the military. And I know like not everyone feels that way. And if like, I'm okay with it, then maybe, maybe I should do it because I know there's some people who aren't okay with it and that's fine that they're not. But like, if I'm okay with it, maybe I should like do my part and serve for a bit. And again, like, it doesn't have to be forever. And then they also like the different service communities that I could join. One of the big polls was like either. Trying to be on an aircraft carrier or a submarine to learn like how to operate the nuclear reactors at board because
0: I was still a bit of a nerd
1: <laughs> in high school. Holy moly. Probably am now too, and you know that was attractive. So yeah, I think those three reasons. That's
0: awesome. So you got accepted, and then you ended up going. What was it like when you first stepped on campus at the academy, Andrew? And and yeah. and then on the bookend, what did it feel like when you were graduating?
1: <laughs> so that is like definitely a crazy experience. So the first day is called induction day or I day for short, and especially like coming from. I think, like, the most formal thing I did at that point was Boy Scouts, but, you know, they have a uniform and stuff, but... Uh, it's definitely... You're getting yelled at on I-Day. It's chaos. They shave your oh, head wow. down. They give you a short buzz cut. That, did that's all the hair come off at that point?
0: <laughs> the long yeah, Oh, yeah. The flow oh, was gone.
1: <laughs> I think the barbers also take pride in just, like, taking the Clippers and going, <laughs> Ooh, and doing these huge cuts. Yeah, that was a big twist. I think doing that kind of like the first taste of going into like, okay, this is crazy. I'm just gonna go into grind mode. It's either like blinders on or just focus like one step at a time and like get through plebe summer. And then it just, it felt like the Navy's like this in general, plebe summer is this maybe two and a half month time where it's okay, this is grind. I just gotta get to the next thing. Then it's plebe year, which is basically freshman year. And it's like, you thought plebe summer was hard, but like here now is there was this new challenge, which is even longer. You're constantly learning of like, okay, how do I get through these next like steps or these next hurdles, so. And then graduation is crazy. A little like bittersweet too, because like you live with the same people, your company mates, which is around like 40 of your classmates for four years. And then at the end at graduation, you all go to separate places. So that was a little bittersweet in that like you have all these friends That you've lived for so long, like in the same dorm rooms, going through the same like random stuff that the academy puts you through. So. That was a little bittersweet, but also it's, oh, wow, I'm an adult now. Yeah. People are like saluting you. You're actually expected to like know what you're doing. You have responsibility. (laughs) That was like a big twist.
0: Yeah, Andrew, you know, we've had a couple of folks who have gone to service academies, but we haven't talked a ton about how you choose your job after you graduate. So what was that process like for you? And I know you ended up going uh, the nuclear route, submarines and all. What was that like going through the process of deciding and then eventually getting that job?
1: Yeah. So each summer... Basically, service Academy students don't have a full summer off summer vacation. They'll only end up getting like three to four weeks. And during the rest of the summer, you actually have these training blocks that you have to do. So each summer, they try to expose you to a different facet of whatever branch you're in. And so, for example, at the Naval Academy, you can do trainings or you have to do trainings (laughs) on surface ships. So that might be like a destroyer. Or it could be in an amphibious ship. You'll end up having to do trainings with the Marine Corps for like at least a week, sometimes more. <laughs> Sorry, my cat's having fun on my desk. good. And so sometimes you get to do trainings with either that aviation group, which could be helicopters or it could be fixed wing. So they really do a good job of exposing you to the different service communities you could join. However, sometimes these events get canceled. And so that actually they're. There was a week where I was supposed to be training on a submarine, but we ended up getting canceled because there was a hurricane and we couldn't fly down to Georgia to get on the submarine. But they also give you briefs or basically presentations trying to describe what each communities do. At the beginning of my time at the academy, I knew I wanted to either be on carriers or submarines because I think it would be really interesting to learn how to operate the nuclear reactors. And then at some point, I decided I was too much of a curmudgeon and an introvert to be on an aircraft carrier, which will have 5,000 oh my people gosh, on wow. it. And actually the the missions that submarines do are like pretty interesting and pretty cool. And I was like, you know what? The missions that submarines do, more interesting, fewer people, tighter knit community. I want to go on submarines. I uh, briefly considered being a Marine, but that's also a lot of work. Do I really want to do (laughs) that? (laughs) I don't think I would 100%. That wouldn't be a full body yes. I was like, you know what? Submarine sounds better. And there's actually an early application process you can do to be either a carrier or a submarine officer. Normally it happens during senior year, but during early application, you could do it at the end of junior year. And I did that. And then there's like technical interviews that you have to do with these really scary engineers. That was tits, Like casing for business school <laughs> can be a little bit. This is like a whole nother level where it's you're just getting these death stares or like ask these piercing questions that make you always, they try to make you seem like an idiot.
0: <laughs> and you're just like, I'm pretty sure this is right. But yeah. That's awesome. So Andrew, you, you graduated and then you became an officer. What was it like on your first day? My understanding is that you have this qualification period as soon as you become an officer. So you start your job, but then you're also automatically like starting to test for your job. What was that experience like? And can you describe a bit about what that pipeline looks like for someone typically coming in that area, the nuclear or submarine area?
1: Yeah, so I, I would say with submarines, it's pretty intense. Most, um, I think probably all communities have this, but just some communities, the schools are a little bit shorter. So even... Before we even step foot on a submarine, they send us to what's called power school down in Charleston, South Carolina. And so that's the Navy version of like graduate studies when it comes to like thermodynamics, like power systems, reactor physics, all this crazy stuff. And so you're sitting in a school room for a minimum of 10 hours a day, just getting like this fire hose of <laughs> just like academic material. And that's for six months. Then there's another six month school where um, it's called Prototype. And there you're actually operating land-based nuclear reactors, but it's still like the same thing where you're just getting this fire hose of information. There is this qualification process where you, um, you're given a big book. They call it a card, but it basically has these different topics where you have to do little mini interviews with instructors and demonstrate knowledge on these topics. And in order to do that, like you have to study in the books, either the technical manual or something that's more like a textbook to learn all that stuff. And that's also a really big shift. There's like this whole learning curve. I can imagine this happens with most jobs in general too, where it's not only do you have to learn the material, you kind of have the meta is like, you have to learn how to learn the material. So what's the most efficient way to ramp up on all this knowledge? Or like at what level of knowledge is it okay to say like, you know what, I'm going to go for this checkout, which is the little mini interview. And yeah, I won't know some stuff, but like they won't say no to like signing off a qual card. Yeah, that was an intense process. And it, oh, I think that... That's actually like a pretty good leadership teaching tool too because it's like you have all this knowledge that you're supposed to know and it like super helps to come into that with humility and like knowing what you do know and what you don't know and not being afraid to ask for help and not thinking you're the smartest person in the room because there's this interesting, or maybe not interesting, but um, there's this dynamic where yes, I'm an officer. Who, like, technically operates enlisted, but there's enlisted who have been in the Navy for way longer than I have and know have forgotten more than all I've <laughs> ever learned about different topics, especially when it comes to specific, like, plant operations. And so it's just because you're an officer or I was an officer, like I can't go in there with an attitude or can't go in there thinking I know more than these people are, I'm better than these people because they're the subject matter expert. And so being willing to say, hey, can you actually like teach me this? Or this is something I didn't understand. So it's a lot of learning how to learn and then also cultivating relationships with the people who are the subject matter experts that can teach you the most. Some are super willing to teach and mentor, then there's others who they're punching in their nine to five and identifying which people can I learn from, which people is it more, okay, I can go to for a checkout, but they're not gonna help me learn. But yeah, that is a ginormous process, not only during the schools, but when you first get to your submarine as well, which is after all the schools, it starts all over again because there are different reactors and different systems. And on top of that, once you first show up to your boat or your submarine, you actually have a job on top of having to learn all this stuff. So it's, yeah, so you have your like 24-7, maybe you get a division, you get put in charge of electrical division. And so now you're managing a work schedule and trying to do all the administrative stuff. Maybe like you have a petty officer going up from a post and have to do stuff like that or you have some other program that you have to help run. So it's definitely a lot. And I think it goes a lot into time management. It forces you to learn that, or if you don't, you're just gonna be drowning (laughs) or spending forever at work. But also I think like a lot of humility and knowing when to ask for help and knowing when to say, you know what, I don't know this. I need to like either find out where to learn it or find the right person to like help me.
0: That's awesome to hear. Yeah, Andrew, I know some people are fortunate to maybe tour a submarine, but you've lived on a submarine. What's that like? Especially as a serving mem- member, I-, I can imagine essentially you're living and working in the same place or same c- facility. What's that like, like 24 seven being in a sub?
1: Yeah, it's a lot. I'm lucky I'm not claustrophobic. perfect. Uh, the rack or the bed that I was in, in, I was in what's called nine man on a Los Angeles class submarine. So the rack I was in was like a top bunk, and there was maybe about five or six inches of clearance between my head and the ventilation So there was no like sitting up in bed. I did that a few times and hit my head maybe like three times or four. Then it sticks that you can't sit fully up. So very confined spaces. The hallways, you can't like pass two people just walking straight towards each other. When you have to like pass someone, you have to like each go sideways and then shuffle a little bit. So very tight quarters. The air is like recycled for the most part, except when you can come up to ventilate. So <laughs> you can imagine like 140 people living in a submarine. And there's just, we have atmospheric scrubbing equipment that has its own distinctive bad smell. <laughs> but um, yeah, there was a lot of like trying to find happiness in the different desserts. <laughs> like I remember there was this one chocolate with peanut butter frosting that man, you're having a rough day. And then you have this dessert and you're like, oh my God, I found God in this dessert. And then you just taste that feeling every dinner after that. Yeah, it's, <laughs> there's just like a whole lot to like learning how to survive in that environment. And like, I won't say thrive, cause that's pretty hard to do. But uh, there is, I think the people are the most important part of what makes the experience. And so like, depending upon who's on your watch team, sometimes you can have some, sometimes you'll have two people who don't get along and you're like, oh my God, I have to deal with this for the next eight hours of these people like doing subtle little gripes at each other. It's like, how do I diffuse this? But then there's like, when you get to pull into port, that feels really good. (laughs) You actually get like sunshine for the first time, which I burn easily. Sometimes I can do away with sunshine, but uh, yeah, pulling into port also feels really good. So you get like little moments to break up deployment. We were on a 10 month deployment to the Western Pacific. So it did last a long time. You definitely get like homesick and like, you also don't have any connectivity. So it's like the year of 2016 basically didn't happen for me. It's like, I don't know (laughs) what happened in the news (laughs) and stuff like that. I don't know anything about sports from 2016.
0: One of the things I often heard from classmates who were in the Navy, you know, were the memories or maybe the places that they were able to go, any places that stick out to you or any memories that you had from your time in service?
1: Yeah. So I got the opportunity on deployment to pull into Guam, to Singapore, and then we pulled into Japan twice. I loved scuba diving in Guam. Scuba diving was just the coolest thing ever. Just seeing all the coral, different fish. There was this one fish on one of the dives that just followed us around the entire time. It felt like a dog and uh that was really
0: cool and just
1: not something that i ever seen before outdoors so i highly recommend getting scuba certified to have, like anyone listening to this because that was just amazing i think snorkeling like if you're in the right area you can probably come close too because you still get to see like fish and underwater and it's just also there are no windows on submarines so it's not like we are looking at this stuff <laughs> all the time so yeah scuba diving was
0: really cool yeah andrew does So many like awesome memories and experiences, and you had a lot of success in the Navy, but you did eventually think about transitioning out of the service. Could you share a bit about, for folks who are either thinking about it or just to share about your background, what were you thinking about when you were thinking about transitioning out of your service? What were some of the top things? And then how did you decide to go to business school as part of that, or to even look at getting an MBA as part of that process?
1: Yeah, I always had in the back of my head that I wanted to go to graduate school, So that always felt like it was in the cards for me, either through the Navy or when I get out of the Navy. When I was in Washington, actually, my dream job would have been working at a national lab somewhere. And so I was thinking, okay, I'll get a PhD in either math, which I studied in undergrad or physics, because I think those are really interesting. And then I'll try and get a job at a national lab. And then actually one of the friends that I played Frisbee with was telling me that those jobs can actually be a little bit more like political than you would imagine, because it's all about either like aligning yourself with someone who can get funding or being really good at yourself at writing those grant proposals or getting funding. So that soured me on that a little bit. Then after, after I was stationed in Washington, I then was stationed in Connecticut for more of a desk job or what's called a shore tour. So I had a lot more free time. And then my best friend there at that command, Tammy, he actually talked me into studying for the GMAT with him and uh, doing that because he just made a lot of sense. He was telling me, he was like, you know what, an MBA is two years compared to like four or more for a PhD. So that's like less time you're in school, more time you're employed, and you're going to get a job that pays more. And I was like, you know what, you're making a lot of sense. <laughs> so maybe I'll just like study, study for the GMAT with you. I think of like Tammy's presence. I don't think I would have applied for business. School. Oh, wow. I don't think I would have studied for the GMAT. Yeah, he was really the catalyst that got me studying for it. So for About two and a half months, we studied for the GMAT just about every night together. (laughs) Yeah, and then we did all the applying to schools together. I knew that I wanted to go to a smaller school, and this time I meant it, (laughs) (laughs) like not compared to undergrad. (laughs) And so Haas, obviously a smaller school. I, I ended up applying to Haas, Yale, MIT, and Stanford. And first choice was definitely being back home in California because my parents, my brother, are still in Northern California. And I wanted to return home really badly, especially after getting out of the Navy. Yale was actually pretty close to where I was stationed in Connecticut. But I guess by like California standards, anything in Connecticut is <laughs> to itself. But um, yeah, California was top of the list. And actually when I um, came out to tour both the Stanford and the Berkeley campus, I actually liked the Berkeley campus a little bit better, which is, that might be a hot take, but I, and then I think Berkeley just made a ton of re, or a ton of sense, like in addition to being in Northern California, like, close to where I grew up in my family. It would be great because I'm interested in like trying to get into energy and clean tech. I think there's like a lot of startups, clean tech startups that like have either offices or are centered in Berkeley. And then also like being able to take courses outside of just the business school, all like great reasons why I like Haas was super, was a super good school for me to apply to. And I'm really fortunate that I got in because <laughs> I I got to go there and like be
0: here and be a graduate. Yeah, Yeah, Andrew, you know, what was it like I guess at that point, coming off of your service and you, you got here on campus and then pretty, sh- I don't know if it was before or right when you started, the whole COVID and the initial lockdown happened. What was that like for you? It's its one of the things that I definitely remember from my business school experience. What was that like for you in your class? And what was that experience like coming from this pretty active life and now uh, in school, but also having the pandemic in the background?
1: Yeah, that was a trip. I think because... I was still working in person during the entirety of the pandemic up until moving to California for school. And so I moved in August of 2020. So like up until that point, working in person, it was a really big shift. I think like culturally isn't the right word, but it showed me how like different parts of America like are either reacting or there's kind of like different pandemics going on, right? So we were in Eastern Connecticut, there was points where my family's in California, they're like all locked down. And I was still able to go to like a winery and do a little tasting outdoors where I had to like opened back up like a tiny bit because there was just very few cases in Eastern Connecticut where we were. And then, yeah, moving here, my brother and his partner telling me this like, hey, you can be invited into our COVID pod, but these are the only people that you can interact with in person that we're comfortable with because that's how we're handling it. And it's like, whoa, this is like very different, <laughs> like compared to when I I'm just like going into work and I don't know if the Navy did the best it could, but there was uh, some precautions that they took, but then other things were just like yeah, <laughs> like if somebody gets COVID, I feel like the whole command's getting it. So yeah, it was very different, and but at the same time, I knew I wanted to start school school because I was getting out of the Navy regardless, and I felt that deferring for a year wouldn't make that much sense. I think. My primary goal with the MBA was I wanted it, or I imagined it as more of an academic experience. And so I I wasn't super concerned about it being remote. I thought I was still going to be able to get what I wanted out of it. And um, yeah, I was going to do it regardless if we were virtual or not. And then, yeah, Zoom school, it's tougher than I thought it was going to be. Like, okay, like... I can sit down in front of a computer like all day. And then when you're actually doing it, it's like, man, this is tough. (laughs) It's so hard to stay engaged too, because, oh, Chrome is right here. Like time to like go do other stuff. And I think one thing in the Navy, I could never have my cell phone app work with me, because I was always in a secure area. And then most of the time I never had internet access. So it's, you know what, those two big distractions are gone. (laughs) And then actually having those is, they're (laughs) quite tempting and compelling to use. So yeah, it was a big shift. I think I made the best of it. I'm sure like everyone did like as much as they could, but yeah, I was, I think that also made me take for granted, like some of those things that I assume it's like, you assume that if you haven't experienced something is, oh, you know what, that doesn't sound that hard. And then when you're actually going through, it, you know, maybe I didn't give this enough credit. And so I think that's also something worth, you know what, just because I don't have firsthand experience of something that somebody is saying doesn't necessarily qualify me to judge whether that's difficult or not. So I think that's, it was another good lesson
0: in having humility. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, Andrew, one of the big aspects of the MBA program is ultimately you're trying to get a job. And for you coming out of the military, one of the things is to get a job probably in like the private sector area. So what was that like for you? And then I think you did a summer internship, I believe. So could you explain what was that like for you Not only just being remote, but also going through that process to get a job while you're in the business school at the same time.
1: Yeah, I will say I don't think I conducted my internship and job search in like the optimal way. I think I probably should have been a lot more kind of like social and active when it comes to networking. But I think like I had a harder time than I imagined. And there was definitely like roller coasters, ups and downs and like switches into my direction. So when I first came in to starting the MBA program, I wanted, I was recruiting for consulting because I thought it would be a really great way to just learn much about business, about different industries, and then really narrow down a target that I wanted when it came to a job afterwards. Because I think going to a service academy and then being in the military, like that was a total of basically 10 years that I was in the military. And I didn't really have any idea of what are specific roles that I think I could fulfill or what are different industries I think would be interesting. I knew broadly that I wanted to do something with like energy and decarbonization because I get to leverage a little bit of my technical background, but I couldn't name specific roles. And so I thought consulting would be a great way to, it's a proven path for MBAs to go into and then will give me that broad exposure. So I tried recruiting for that. I ended up bombing my round one interviews And then I had to shift and I said, okay, well, what I think would be really interesting is working at some sort of energy startup. I started looking into battery startups because I think those would be a fascinating place to work at. And I don't know this to be true. And this is somewhere that I think if I networked more and tried to be more active, that I could have had more success. But I had limited success when I was applying to a lot of these like startups and some even like bigger ones, even like Tesla, Rivian, that have a little bit more established pipelines And I think if I had more warmer intros, that would have helped me for these startups and then also more established companies. But kind of what I found was that when it came to technical people, they really were looking either for like masters or PhDs in material science or physics or stuff like that, which I didn't have. My engineering experience was all operational, like operating a reactor, not necessarily design focused. So even a... uh, a nuclear startup that I was interested in, but didn't have a role for me. And when it came to the business side, what these companies were looking for, if they were even hiring for those, was somebody with more traditional business experience, be it consulting or investment banking or something like that. So I gave up on startup for a while because it just felt like my resume was a little bit far of a stretch to get there, which was like a little bit of a gut punch, but happens and may or may not be the case for everyone. Again, like I don't think I completely successfully executed my like job and internship search. So then I thought it would be super interesting to maybe work at a large corporate, Google, Amazon, Facebook. A lot of them are, do, are doing power purchasing agreements or even developing renewable projects. Well, maybe I could do that. And um, the sense that I got was that my military background actually like plays a little bit more in corporate America or companies that have a lot, either a J.O. leadership rotation program or something like that, or but maybe a startup doesn't have any veterans and so they don't necessarily know how to value some of the skills they bring in. And also like veterans have a really hard time articulating the skills that they bring to the table. But I thought these big corporates might, turns out they were looking for people with more industry oh, experience. That's the sense that I got talking to them. And um, so that's actually when I applied to for an internship at San Diego Gas and Electric because the feedback I got was either you need industry experience so either like working at a consultancy, a renewable developer, I, I tried applying to a few of those, or a utility. And I ended up applying to San Diego Gas and Electric, was able to intern there. And that actually was really good advice, because I was able to learn a ton. And especially in California, like the regulations surrounding utilities can be very convoluted, and how they make mudweed is very convoluted. And so it was great kind of having like, a front seat learning opportunity to learn kind of the different challenges they face, like how they make money. They have a lot of internal training resources on how they do that because their employees don't know either, or at least they're new ones. And so that was great. But ultimately I decided it wasn't somewhere I wanted to be long-term, especially when it comes, you know, I'm passionate about decarbonization. And I think a lot of things that utility focuses on, rightly so, is resilience is big. The does this get me out, but essentially reliability, right, they want to minimize power outages as much as possible. And so utilizing new technology is a little bit like scarier for them also because of how they make return, not super incentivized to deploy new technologies. There's a lot of things that can change. But anyways, I decided that wouldn't be a place where I felt like I could be making a really big impact when it comes to driving sustainability and decarbonization. And I said, well, if the utility is not going to be it, like I heard consulting is one of those stepping stones from all these people at the big corporates. Or it's what like the startups are looking for when it comes to the job posting. So it's like, I'll go into reattack for consulting recruiting yeah. and hopefully make it work this
0: time. Yeah. Andrew, you were successful in, in getting to McKinsey. What was that process like? Because you essentially finished the internship, you come back on campus and you're like, okay, I got to go. I got to get this time. And, and it's a yeah, all or nothing type of moment for a lot of MBAs. What was that like for you? Yeah,
1: that was a lot of like heads down casing time. And I think from the first round of doing the internship recruiting, that kind of taught me Okay, here's the right way to case. And so now the second time I got to focus on the right way to case (laughs) rather than kind of like learning how to case. But yeah, there was um, a lot of time where it's, I did a a lot of casing. And I think with the NBA, fortunately, it's electives Mm -hmm. that second year. So some of them like aren't quite as hard as others, but it's like, you know what, I'll... I won't get an A on this elective (laughs) paper because I'm going to make sure I have a job because at the end of the day, I'm going to be a a sad panda if I don't graduate with a job offer. But yeah, I think like it was just applying those lessons learned and then also like just trying to grind out the cases and you have to be really diligent. Honestly, I think this is like true no matter what you're doing, but it also applies to casing is you really have to reflect on, okay, where are the areas that I'm messing up and like, how am I consciously going to do better? And it got to the point where, you know, what I had to do on my case papers is I have to write I make my little format of like, okay, the prompt goes here, here's like the big question. But like on every single case, I think I ended up writing at the top of the paper, don't forget about cannibalization <laughs> because that was something that I would always forget about. But just like little things like that or like figuring out how to kind of like improve and not forget things. Um, but yeah, that was, that was kind of a grind, but I got super fortunate to make it through round one and two with uh, McKinsey. But it was kind of a lot of work. And then also finding like the right partners. What I found helped the most was like, it's hard to do, but casing with either actual consultants or past consultants is, I think, the
0: most valuable and helpful. That's awesome. <laughs> now that you're out of the MBA program and moving into the next stage of, of your career, what are, do you have any reflections of your time at Haas and or any things uh, that you kind of uh, stick with you and anything else that you're thinking about now that you couldn't focus on during the MBA program that you're focusing on as you're transitioning?
1: Yeah, I think reflection. So I think if I could do it over again, it was around fall of actually the first year that I decided, you know what? I thought this was gonna be an academic program and I think it's more of a vocational program. And that was like a mindset shift for me. I think what I would do differently is actually try to be a little bit more like social because that was something that I didn't really prioritize Especially because going into it, I was like, this is an academic program. I'm going to like try and focus on that. I'm not here to like party <laughs> for two years. I'm trying to learn. And I think like I, I missed out a little bit on learning what other people's interests are. Because I know I like there's so many great classmates out there, but I just didn't like focus enough on like getting to meet them. I think I was very complacent. I had my Pat mittens. And then um, it was actually around Thanksgiving of the first year I met my girlfriend And so like the opportunity cost is like, oh, do I go to bar of the week or do like (laughs) join the cuddle puddle that's on the couch right now? And the cuddle puddle, like pretty much always won. But I think, yeah, looking back, I would try to like build a little bit more of those connections because it's like when I did get to be in little group projects with people in electives or classes, like you just get to meet all these great, super interesting people and learn their stories. And um, that's something I wish I did more of. Now, like during the summertime, I actually, I moved into San Francisco and I actually love it. I've never lived in a big city before and I like it a lot more than I thought I would. I think a big part of that is being able to like take the Muni around everywhere and take the bus. We have this like awesome location. So that makes it much less stressful. I hate driving in San Francisco, but luckily my car gets to stay parked for the majority of the time. So I actually really like that. I am playing in an Ultimate Frisbee League while I still have free time. So really enjoying that. Taking up disc golf a little bit more. That's fun. But yeah, I think, yeah, right now just kind of like trying to enjoy not having work and really trying to focus on being present and enjoying what's happening right now. Work's going to be work when it gets here. I'm going to have to put in an effort to get what I want out of McKinsey and like learn the things that I want to learn. But I don't have to worry about that right now. (laughs) <laughs> I have to worry about that in two days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Andrew, it's been so good to have you on the on the show today. We close. Uh, we have a tradition, a newer tradition of closing with some Haas words of wisdom. Want to pose some questions to you. And if you'd share your words of wisdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. I will do my best. <laughs> Andrew, word of wisdom. People who are thinking about getting into consulting, what words of wisdom might you uh, provide for those folks?
1: It's a little bit hard because I didn't do an internship in it. But I think if you're... intent on getting into consulting, I think you should probably know what you want to get out of it, whether that's a list in your head or something that you write down and make sure you actively work towards that. I think this probably goes for most jobs in general, but especially, I think consulting, you can probably get swept away in what you're doing. The Navy was like this, where like a company in consulting is going to get out of you what they want. So you need to make sure that you get out of it what you want. And you need to like keep that in mind. If that's a sticky note on your mirror, do that. If it's a sticky note on your desktop, which is what I do, do that. But um, yeah, just make sure you advocate for yourself and your goals. I think that goes for life too, but especially consulting, because or if you're not diligent and kind of present-minded about it, I think it's really easy to get swept away. So That's
0: awesome. Yeah, next question, Andrew. For folks transitioning out of active duty or military service, what words of wisdom might you have for them?
1: Yeah, with that, I think it's definitely stay humble-ish, but there's gonna be a lot of things you don't know and a lot of things that are unfamiliar. And so asking for help can get you really far. Obviously you have all the things that you have worked on to develop skill-wise, leadership-wise that are really important, but it is, the onus is on you for articulating that to employers and then also setting up a good fit. And so I think one of the like tactical things that I found super helpful when it came to resume is try to find a relative or a friend who has absolutely zero exposure to Mm. the military and have them read it because then they can tell you, hey, I didn't understand any of this, or this sounds awesome, but I don't know what this means. That'll help you like translate and take away the jargon and really distill down to what your skills are and get you like a bit farther than, yeah, I know my first resume was terrible because it was just all something only a submarine officer can understand. And I know transitioning military members have, like, so much more to offer. than like, something only a military person can understand. But I don't know if it's unfortunate or not. The reality is the onus is on the service member for translating
0: that. That's good. Yeah, one more. Uh, And for your future self, Andrew, any words of wisdom that you'd provide for yourself? My future self?
1: I think I really want, like, some of the stuff from the the BASMA course to stick around. One of the things that I think also helps (laughs) with driving it San Francisco traffic is like one of the things they focus on is just like how impermanent things are. And so if you're going through traffic and you find yourself getting upset, like just understand that situation is impermanent. It's not gonna last forever. Pain in the body is impermanent. It's not gonna last forever. And so I think using that realization can help you understand like, hey, this like happy moment here, like this isn't gonna last forever. So I should be here. I should be present and I should enjoy it. Or like, hey, this bad thing that's happening right now, you know what, that's not gonna last forever either and it's not worth getting upset over. So I, I hope that attitude is something future Andrew can still try to have and try to practice. And I, like, I really hope I don't get swept away in consulting because I'm sure there's gonna be things that it's, oh man, this is a last minute deadline, or if I'm working super late, it's like, oh, this is so crazy, I'm so stressed. Like, I really hope future Andrew keeps that in mind, and says, you know what, this isn't permanent. Like, I shouldn't let this stress me out because at the end of the day, it's not worth like my mental health or like all my like processing cycles to get worked up about something that it's a slide.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Andrew, those are awesome words of wisdom. It's been great to have you on the show. I'm super excited for you. You know, we on the podcast wish you all the best in this upcoming year and in the future, of course. Yeah. So I want to say thanks again, Andrew, and go Bears. (laughs) Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate those words. Go Bears!
1: Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas Podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S.fm. There, you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. And until next time,
0: go Bears.